This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are, ready to roll with you. One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. Good to have you with us on a Thursday. And uh, got plenty to dive into today, which we'll get to in just a second. But there is tons of uh, NFL coaching news. It's getting fast and furious now with hirings and interviews not just for head coaches, but for position coaches as well. So we wanted to try to bring you up to speed a little bit on that first as we go around the NFL right out of the gate, which is presented by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with two NFL coaching jobs, head coaching jobs, that have been filled in the last 24 hours. About an hour ago, news broke that David Canales – Offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay is going to be the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He worked with GM Dan Morgan for eight years in Seattle, so there's an obvious connection there. And he's known for kind of resuscitating quarterback careers. Did it with Geno Smith at the Seahawks. Did it just this past season with Baker Mayfield, who had a solid season for the Bucs, got him to the playoffs. His best year as a pro. <clears throat> Won a playoff game. So, yeah, they upset the Eagles first round of the playoffs. Um, so he's going to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers and see if he can fix a rough rookie season for Bryce Young. Right. There's a lot going on in, in Carolina, of course, but when Dan Morgan got the job as a GM, um, those guys, when you get these jobs, and, and Dan Morgan's been on the pipeline for a long time. He was here in Buffalo with the guys come up from in Carolina, Seattle before that. Back to Carolina, he's with Seattle. So he's been put, paying his dues for a long time when they it, – it, People, when they tend to get these big jobs, when the job they've wanted for a while comes along, they reach out to people they really know. Go with what you know. Them. Yeah, and guys that they're friends with and they can have frank conversations with. So no surprise here with Canales getting the job. And, and, he's, and Canales is, no, is not a reach. No, he, he might not be a household name, but he's certainly been around the block in this league. So, right. yeah. Chargers, as we know, this broke late yesterday, have officially hired Jim Harbaugh as their new head coach. They were finalizing the deal yesterday. We mentioned that on the show. So they're the second team that hired a head coach, Steve, before they hired a general manager, which is a bit uncommon. The Raiders were the other team. They made interim head coach Antonio Pierce their permanent head coach before hiring Tom Telesco as general manager. And so now the Chargers are bringing in Ravens director of player personnel Joe Hortiz in for a second in-person GM interview today. They also had Giants assistant GM Brandon Brown in yesterday. So looks like the GM is going to be hired pretty quickly. Things are picking up pace with the Chargers, but I, I would bet the, the Ravens guy has a good look at oh, it because yeah. he's already working with his brother, John. John will go work up, for Jim. Yeah, John will pick up the phone, and, and if he's the guy, John will say, this is your guy. Don't don't go anywhere else, yeah. and it'll be done. No question. Um, yeah, the GM – and we, we've seen it here in Buffalo time and time again, generation after generation, GM and head coach. That, that pairing is – how they work together is huge um, when it comes to the success of the franchise, and particularly the sustainable success. Some AFC East news. Vic Fangio out as defensive coordinator for the Dolphins after just one season. But he's barely out the door, and he's already been hired by the Philadelphia Eagles as their new defensive coordinator after Philadelphia jettisoned their OC and DC earlier this week. A candidate to replace Fangio in Miami 
is former Chargers head coach Brandon Staley, who has worked with Mike McDaniel in the past. Oh, by the way, they also have the same agent. Uh, that doesn't hurt. Right. The Packers fired their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, so they have a job to fill there. The Bengals promoted quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher to offensive coordinator after they lost Brian Callahan, who became the head coach in Tennessee earlier this week. And there are some second in-person interviews around the league for head coaching openings today. Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn with the Seahawks, Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick with the Falcons, former Titans head coach Mike Vrabel with the Panthers, although that's probably not happening now, now that I look at it. Since they already hired a guy, Dave Canales. So Vrabel's out of luck. Might want to cancel that flight. Um, Meanwhile, former Panthers offensive coordinator Thomas Brown is interviewing with the Steelers for their vacant OC job. As we remember, they fired Matt Canada midseason, and then their running backs coach, Eddie Faulkner, served as interim offensive coordinator for them to finish out the season. Uh, And finally, the Browns and Eagles have each requested – an interview with former Chargers OC Kellen Moore for their offensive coordinator post. That was what I was going to ask. And also, uh, did you? We didn't. Did we talk about Telesco yesterday, the Buffalo guy? Not really, but yeah, he was a dark horse candidate in that race because they had assistant GM there, whose name's escaping me now. Um, their assistant GM was the interim GM after the GM and head coach were both fired. Um, Ziegler and McDaniels. So people were thinking, oh, he'll he'll get the job. And he was interviewed, but uh, yeah, right. Tom Telesco is viewed as a more experienced candidate who could help Antonio Pierce more with roster building and such. Well, and Tom Telesco is a Buffalo guy, so a lot yeah. of people here in Western New York will be interested in seeing Friend him. Friend of the show. Uh, and, it's, and I heard it said, too, usually GMs, it's hard to get a second shot as a GM. Uh, I mean, you can look in the media and see all the guys that didn't. Um, yeah, Tom Telesco getting hired almost right away by the, by a team within the division. Yeah, uh, so there's obviously some people who were impressed by his ability to build the roster in L.A. Uh, come over and do it in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean he was there for 11 years. And, uh, he yeah. went. He was in San Diego when they were in San right. Diego, and then he's been there a minute. Made the move. Yeah. So yeah, he landed on his feet. Good to see that. Uh, so that is kind of around the NFL. There is Bills news. As well, uh, first, they late yesterday signed Shane Bouchelle as a reserve futures free agent. He was on the practice squad as a quarterback, basically their third quarterback. So he got re-signed. He'll be back with the club in the offseason. Then you have uh, some NFL honors finalists, Damar Hamlin, was named one of the finalists for the comeback NFL Comeback Player of the Year. So that was nice to see. His competition in that category, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Matthew Stafford, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Flacco. That's not an easy category there because there are differing circumstances with most of those players. Tua, obviously the concussion history. Mm-hmm. Joe Flacco coming off the couch out of semi-retirement. He played in, what, five games? Baker with his fourth team in his career. Eighth head coach. Getting him to the playoffs. Stafford, I know he missed the end of the season last year. I guess that's why he's on the list. And then we all know why DeMar is on the list. So 
<clears throat> we'll see. Only one time has a Buffalo Bill been named NFL Comeback Player of the Year. That was Doug Flutie in 1998 when he came back from the CFL to play in the NFL and ended up going to the Pro Bowl that year in 98 when uh, <clears throat> he helped the Bills reverse an 0-3 start and get to the playoffs at 10-6. and And then the bigger news, Josh Allen has been named a finalist for NFL MVP. The other finalists uh, uh, he'll be up against, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. So some stiff competition there for both Bills, but uh, wish him the best of luck. I think the NFL honors his Super Bowl weekend, right? It's usually that Friday night or Saturday before the mm, Super Bowl. Something like that, yeah. yeah Which I'm, is in I'm, Las Vegas, incidentally. Yeah, of course, we are, I don't know, are we biased here in favor of Josh? Probably so. I'm just, gl- I'm just <laughs> glad he's in the conversation. Because well, he's got to be in the conversation. I didn't get to the Pro Bowl, for grief. God's sake. He smoked everybody in the touchdown uh, count this year. Um they saw him throw three interceptions on opening day, and now nobody will ever forget. No, nobody ever forgives him for it, and now it's stuck with him for the entire season. But the guy was a monster this year, an absolute monster. Got his team to the number two seed in the conference. Um, yeah, it was and, – and listen, it, it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Obviously, it's, it's an incredible honor to be the MVP of a league like the NFL. And, it's, and every time you say, you know – a guy like uh, like us, we say Josh Allen's the guy. It, it t- tends to people think we're dissing Lamar. Lamar had a f- fantastic season. He is doing things in Baltimore that nobody thought he could do, which is kind of cool to see, right? Hence is why we like Josh. Josh is doing every time Josh takes the field, he's doing something nobody thought he could do. There's a ton of people who still bag on the guy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But there you go. So. Uh, my my take on uh, on Josh is that, and the only the absolutely the only knock on Josh is what people give you is the fact that a he turns it over uh, too much, and Bills fans and Bills team will say no he doesn't. That's all you can say. <laughs> That's all you can say. And uh, but he is a finalist. He should be. Uh, he should be in the in the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, he's an absolute monster. He's the reason the Bills were as good as they were this year. And uh, congratulations to him. Yeah. Uh, don't know if you spotted this, Steve. So we remember that Packers kicker Anders Carlson misses the kick against the 49ers, and then they ultimately go on to lose the NFC Divisional playoff against San Francisco, who pulled it out at the end. Right. The Packers released the kicker um, and signed – or sorry, they didn't release the kicker. They signed competition. Jackpot Lesney – Former kicker at the University of Georgia was signed um, by the Packers. So, yeah, well, that competition's on the way in. That's the way it is. Um, you can bet the Bills will do that this year. They did not oh, do it. They, this, they didn't do it last year. They will right. this year. Probably they'll bring in a guy um, just to make sure they have somebody on the back burner who's got some some familiarity with the roster and all that. It's hard to you can do that as a kicker, and that's that's not unusual. So. Um, it's a one plus of one get, position. Plus you've got yeah, plus you've got some cost certainty too. So you've got the guy already there. You don't want to wait and then all of a sudden have to make another move because you want to sign a different kicker. So uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's Yeah. That's the way we are. Uh, that's where we are right now. Right. So that's kind of a, a look at what's going on with the Bills, a look at what's going on around the league. 
Uh, we also have a, a topic of discussion for you today concerning the bills based on some of the comments we heard earlier this week from GM Brandon Bean and head coach Sean McDermott. And it concerns the Bills' defensive line because <laughs> they got a lot of free agents and not just at defensive tackle. So just to give you a number count here, defensive linemen on the Bills' 53-man roster numbered, let me see here, 3, 6, 9, 12, 12 players on Buffalo's defensive line on the active roster, and eight of them are going to be unrestricted free agents this offseason. Uh, just about every defensive tackle not named Ed Oliver is a free agent, and every defensive end not named Greg Rousseau, Von Miller, or Kingsley Jonathan is a free agent. So that means A.J. Epinesa um, and Shaq Lawson are free agents, along with Leonard Floyd. Defensive tackles who are free agents, Puna Ford, Daquan Jones, Linval Joseph, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle. So that is a position that is going to have a cavernous hole and lack of numbers this offseason. So our question to you today is, what do you think is the most likely outcome for the defensive line changes this offseason? Maybe you think they go all in on the draft, filling the primary needs. Um, we did hear Brandon Bean give indication that they wanted to bring Daquan Jones back. And really, I, I think A.J. Epinesa is a player they'd like to hold on to, but might he cost too much knowing Buffalo's cap situation? So there are a lot of balls up in the air as the Bills go into the offseason. So you let us know what your thoughts are. What's the most likely outcome for the defensive line changes this offseason? 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. That's a lot of work at just one position. Here's the th group. Yeah, it is. Uh, unless you find somebody who is an absolute shocker of a success story, and I don't even I can't even think of anybody who would be in that conversation like I can't even compare it you're gonna have you're gonna struggle unless Vaughn Vaughn comes back and plays like he has in the past I think you're kind of banking on that yeah um there's you they can't afford to bring in a, a high quality free agent they can't bring in a guy like you know Vaughn was when they signed him this is going to be a real issue for this team going forward on the defensive front there, there's going to be some names Bills fans do not know, and and the expectations are going to – I think the expectations are going to plummet, right? Because they're going to have guys in there like – and you and I like him, but like Kingsley Jonathan. Yeah. Now that's who – this. that's the kind of guy this team's going to be de depending yeah, on. Now, you and, and I, you and I, I think Kingsley Jonathan can play. And there are guys out there who are going to be kind of in that realm. May, they may not be all pros, but they're going to have really surprisingly good seasons. Kingsley Jonathan, you and I think is going to be one of those guys, but they need like three of those guys to to get to where they were this year, right? Right. Um, yeah, it it's uh, right now sitting on this end of the off season, man. It's like I don't know <laughs> what are we gonna do. Well, I mean, it's I think it's going to be a step by step process. They're not going to fill them like right out of the shoot when the free agent market opens. I think they're going to kind of 
have some initial targets in mind that are somewhat affordable. I wouldn't expect them to jump into the market right away where the high price guys tend to go first. But I, you know, if you look at what's some of what the bills did last year in terms of the people they signed, they really, I mean, Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford didn't sign until May and June. Right. They were kind of the last couple of pieces that were added. Jordan Phillips re-signed and coming off a shoulder injury, he was affordable for one year and $3 million last year. Uh, finished the season on IR again with a wrist injury. I, I think that may be where you're at. You get to a place where a guy like a Leonard Floyd is out there and there'll be a handful or fewer guys like that and they'll pick their spot. They'll and get Sha Shaq Lawson's re-signed here each of the last two years for right. the league minimum, veteran minimum. Right. So, I mean, you can find bodies to fill out your roster, but you're you're losing just about everybody. I mean, Daquan Jones, you would think, is a priority. Right. In light of his caliber of play, but he's also 32 years old. Yeah. So you can't forget that either. I'll say this, though. I'm, And, and who knows how it's going to work out because once you get into the, your – early to mid-30s, like Vaughn is, um, he did peak at the end of the season. It was a little, you know, for most Bills fans, they shrugged their shoulders a little too little too late. I get all of that. I said it going I, – I think the guy's still got some gas in his tank. Now, he's got to do it – you know, you expect him to do it for 18 weeks of a regular season. It's hard to do that in your early to mid-30s. It's a long grind. As what we saw what happened to Steph is just before he turned 30. Um, it's it's hard to do. The game just asks too much. It's a hard pace to keep up, and injuries become more of a factor. Not only not, not any more of a factor of getting them, but bouncing back from them becomes more difficult. Like we've seen with Vaughn, um, it was a long ramp up time before we actually got back to where we see a burst and see him doing spin moves and all the stuff we've seen him do. It took a long time. So that's. You know, while Vaughn may come back and contribute, particularly early in the season this next year, and I would expect him to 100%, it's a long season. It is a long season, as yeah. we saw this year with this defense. Mm -hmm. I, I think you got to get younger, too. So yeah. that's why, you know, you should probably give Kingsley Jonathan some regular time in that rotation. And if you can't afford to keep A.J. Epinesa, Kingsley Jonathan is his most likely replacement um, going forward if he gets priced out of your – Price range. But let's go to the phone, see what you think at 803-0550, the number to get on board. And we lead off with Joe in Denver. What do you got for us, Joe? Hey, guys. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks. Um, apologies for my voice. Still recovering from uh, the trip uh, back to the OP uh, for the Steelers game, um, which was just an absolutely wonderful experience. Wanted to touch on a couple points here. Uh, first off, just with the refs, um, in the ongoing conversation, it always comes back to it. Obviously, there's going to be calls every game, but it's hard to deny some of the lunacy of it all, the nepotism, a younger hockey league getting questioned. I, I just look at the NHL and visualize these full-time reps who have a grueling path to get to the show. You know, they're cruising the sod farms of Saskatchewan through the juniors to get a chance, and I just feel like the NFL needs to adopt that kind of program. Where would you have um, them go farm? Where would you have them farm? I mean, where would you have them pay their dues? 
Well, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's integration between the high school, the college system. Candidly, you know, maybe the XFL or the emerging new leagues. It just seems like there could be more of a competition to get there as opposed to people who are kids of former refs. Well, I'll say this. I mean, um, you, you don't get to be the NFL, an NFL ref unless you spent a lot of time in the Big Ten and the Pac-10 and the SEC and all of those schools. You, they, the NFL plucks officials from the top leagues available to them to pluck officials from. Uh, plus, I'll just say, I, I don't, with no, no disrespect intended, Joe, the last, the last thing you want to do is have NFL officials act like NHL officials. <laughs> fair, fair point, Steve. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on, and that's just the Bills Mafia. Uh, my trip back was my first time in almost 10 years since the uh, Manziel Browns game. Um, wonderful experience, as always. Just a, a fine showing of Bills fans. Um, which, which leads me to my just disappointment in this era of trolls and online voices. Um, some of the stuff I've seen is, is crazy. And not to get into specifics, I just want people to remember where we came from. Um, you know, everyone calls in, says they're a lifetime Bills fan, and then just shreds the team or McDermott or Josh. You know, I was at the, the 31 nothing beat down in Foxborough on a Sunday night when, when Brady came back with a 50-burger. I was at the Peterman five-pick half. Look at where we are. You know, be appreciative. This team puts out a phenomenal product, and maybe we've come short, but I think the knocks on McDermott are outrageous. Look at the evolution, changes with Leslie, changes with Dorsey, um, you know, changes to play calling, the aggression. It's just hard not to see that this guy is putting everything out there and evolving to, to give us a championship. Um, and I think that the one thing I might hope to see next year that might change just as a force of the salary cap, et cetera, is maybe giving a little more youth a shot. He's obviously leaned into the veterans historically, and it's gotten us very far, but it's hard to deny that there's been some trail off late season in the biggest of moments, and I wouldn't mind maybe seeing some young guys free agent draft picks etc getting a real shot in crunch time love to hear what you guys have to say yeah thanks joe uh we were actually talking about that yesterday you know the salary cap situation they find themselves in being 43 over and they'll be able to find a way to get out from under it but they're gonna have to jump through some financial hoops extend some people restructure some people ask some people to take pay cuts or release some people outright they're going to have to rely on more youth going forward. And Brandon Bean gave that indication earlier in the week. And we're going to have to depend on some younger players going forward because we, we need to utilize the cheap labor on our roster, that being people on rookie contracts. So they don't really have a choice at this point. They have to make that work. And we've seen other teams do it. Steve references it all the time. The Chiefs went with a major youth movement on defense in 2022. And they took some lumps the first half of the 2022 season. By the end of the season, they're making interceptions in playoff games to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. The Bills have to make a similar type of youth movement, and it's probably going to have to take place mostly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Uh, it is after, after the Bills season ends like it does, like it has in the well, fast, last four division championships, you know, you, you get into the playoffs and you win a playoff game, which, you know, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, there's always fans will always troll and they'll always let their emotions overflow out and it and certainly it sounds awful and they troll the team and they drag Sean McDermott they drag Brandon Bean they drag whoever you want uh, you know uh, Dayball 
Leslie Frazier, Tyler Bass, Tyler Bass, go through the list. You know, they'll drag all everybody and anything and everybody through the mud because it's just where they are mentally. So don't, I got a lot of grace for that because that's what fanship is. Um, and, but most of those people, when, when they get over it, the season, the off is going to roll along. They'll watch the draft. They'll get excited and they'll be back, back next year because it's, it's part of being a fan. You kind of go through, ride the ups and downs and downs like the end of the season Last last a while emotionally, and you got to have some grace for people. Although some of the stuff we've seen is obviously out of bounds, particularly with the Tyler Bass stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, you're right. Your your trip come back to OP. I've I've heard it before. You, um, Jason and Travis Kelsey had their podcast this week, and they were effusive in their praise not only for the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, and the team, but also the fans. Jason is well documented. Had a nice time at the game, both pre and you know both pregame and during the game, they loved it. Uh, that's mostly what Bills being a fan about the Bills is. Uh, we kind of get our arms around each other. We welcome in other points of view. Um, we like this Taylor Swift Jason Kelsey box that it is absolute riot to when she gets your mind around what they were doing and what was going on in there. It was an absolute hilarious event that was part of and was made great by the way they were received by the fans around them. So I get it. The end of the season comes, and there's a lot of angst and anger and disappointment. We've all lived through it before all, all too many times, right? Uh, but there also, you got to remember, uh, there's a, lot of, a ton of good that comes out of it. The Tyler Bass situation in, in particular, the 10 lives. Uh, charity. Charity. You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars people have given. Uh, because of because they still love Tyler Bass and they wanted to support him um, the way that you know Bills fans have always done. So yeah, you're right. Um, and now, lastly, the youth movement. I agree completely. I'm I get excited about it when I think about it. I I think back to when I was a young player and would have given anything to get an opportunity to get on the field. I was I was on a, a team with some established guys my rookie season in Houston. There were some established guys, and I had a lot to learn. There's no doubt about it. But I really wanted a chance to play, and I wanted to, you, to excel. I wanted to get on the field, and that's where I think all these young guys are. And I think back to my mindset at that time and how I, you know, what, I wanted, what I wanted to do, what I was willing to do. It's exciting to think about. And I think as a coach in the NFL, you, you have a responsibility to give your team the best chance to win. And you have beliefs that are attached to that, where guys who will, you know, who will stay away from mistakes and make sure your calls get made and make sure everybody else is on the same page. And young players, you don't know if they can do that. So you stay away from them. My coach was like that. Marv was averse to playing rookies. And, for, and it's, not the right, it's not always the right thing to do. In fact, I think in a lot of cases, it's probably the wrong thing to do. I, I played on a team where Eric Moles was sitting on the bench as a rookie. You can't, I mean. And as a second-year player. You got to get that, you got to get guys like that on the field. They've got to get on the field. And that's, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm with you on the youth movement. I think it's exciting to think about. I think it's fun to think about. Brownie and I have, Brownie, more than me, Brownie's starting to say, hey, look at this guy on, the, <laughs> on college highlights. I'm like, I don't want to see that guy yet. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm with you. And so it's 
All that is, is, is great, Joe. I, Joe from Denver. I'm glad you came back. Come back more often than every 10 years. Yeah. Let's go to Don in Rochester next. What's up, Don? Hi, guys. Uh, love the show. Quick um, comment on a play I would have loved to see more often. Would have been a pure uh, bootleg by Josh. Seems like the pitches and the sweeps by Cook. A lot of times he got uh, negative yardage. And from where I sit, um, seems like Josh would have had a lot of room to run. And a follow-up, Steve, with the, the um, Josh and his turnovers, the national media likes to make a point of his turnovers, his interceptions. I don't know if you follow Sal Morano or read his articles, but there's been five quarterbacks with more interceptions in their first five seasons, led by Peyton Manning at 110, uh, followed by uh, Marino was in there, Brady was in there, Brett Favre, and... Um, Getting uh, the the old uh, Denver quarterback John Elway, um, all hall, yeah, John Elway, all Hall of Famers, yeah, or soon to be with uh, Brady. But you know that's pretty elite uh, company. I mean, you know we we you know there there's picks that uh, you know obviously cost us here and there, but you know you got to take the good with the bad and. You know, Josh is a phenomenal athlete, yeah. and those things are going to happen at some point. You're right, but, Don. Uh, You're 100 percent right. We're we're up against the break here, so we got to let you go. But thanks for the call. And I will say this: uh, Steve has said this many times. When you throw as much as Josh does, you're going to put the ball at risk. And if you look historically at all of those guys, they threw the ball a lot too, which is why they have a lot of interceptions. So that is the risk you take every time you throw the football. As to your run point that you wanted to run Josh more, I actually would have preferred they throw more on first down come the second half of that game against the Chiefs because it was very clear that the Chiefs were fully expecting run on first down and on a lot of the second and shorts in the second half, and the Bills tried to keep running the ball. And they were it was to the point where the Chiefs were run blitzing. Uh, they really believed that the Bills were going to continue to run on first and second down. They did, second and short, I should say. They ran on 10 of their 13 second and shorts in that game. It's too predictable. Uh, they should have switched it up, thrown more on first down or second and short. Uh, so I, I will respect. I, I agree with you. They should have done something different, but I don't think Josh running it was necessarily the answer. You want to talk about running Josh inside the five? I'll listen to that. But they, yeah, they just I, stuck with it too long and didn't get off it. Yeah, I saw. I saw what you saw too once in a while, Don. I'm, you know, maybe Josh faking the handoff and rolling. They did it once or twice. They did a fake pitch. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, they did a fake pitch and stuff. But also, you know, hard run play action, have Josh boot out the back. But, you know, you don't want to expose him to an unblocked guy coming off the edge away from the run either because uh, teams do that. That's the way you, you answer a, a bootleg. But I'm with you. I saw the same thing. There was a couple of times when I wish Josh wouldn't have handed it off and just kept it on his own and gone, uh, not told anybody. Um, I think there was a play to be had. But, you know, it's easy to say that after the play, but you never know beforehand. Break time for us here. When we come back, the Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas is going to join us. We'll catch up with him uh, in hour number two. He'll be coming up in hour number two of the show. In the meantime, we'll take more of your phone calls when we come back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Going right back to the phones where we are asking you today, what's the most likely outcome for the defensive line changes this offseason? Eight of the 12 defensive linemen on the roster are unrestricted free agents. You know the Bills cap situation is tight, to say the least. How do you see it playing out between now and next fall? You can let us know at 803-0550. Let's get back to the phones, and we go to Rick in North Tonawanda. What do you got for us, Rick? Hi, guys. A uh, uh, couple things. I've been, uh, number one, I've been a Bills fan since uh, the last time they won a championship, and that was in 1964 when, they beat, when we beat the San Diego Chargers. Of course, that was the AFL before the, before the uh, merge. Uh, but um, my question was, why doesn't the Bills, and maybe even other teams, have their offensive coordinator on the field. I mean, to me, this makes a lot more sense than than uh, having them up in the press box looking through binoculars or whatever and calling the plays. I, I guess they must uh, relay it right through a radio in the, in the quarterback's helmet or something like yep, that. That's and what that, they do. Yeah. And, and to me, that, that would be distracting, number one. But um, it also, by having the guy up in the stands – uh, up in the press box, I should say. It seems like they missed the flow of information on the field. They they missed the the contact with the players and and actually with the uh, the head coach. And and to me, this is this is one of the reasons these Bills have made such stupid moves in some of the play calling. Uh, number one, I'll say the 13 second game everybody knows about, and then this last game with KC. I mean the last. The play calling in the in the last part of that game was ridiculous. I mean, who well, wants to get a field goal with with uh, a minute and forty five seconds left and give it to uh, give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, uh, who the the Bills couldn't stop all day and let him go down and, and even get in the field goal range and kick the winning field goal. All I right, mean, so so it, let me. A- I, I think we know what you're getting at, Rick. So let me ask you this: How do you think? Yeah. Being on the field to call plays will fix that problem that you think they have. I believe that it would help because you're you have the opportunity to talk directly with the both the defensive, the head coach, and and you know you're the offensive coordinator. Much more uh, close coordination than working through a, a radio, telephone, or uh, whatever kind of. Uh, electronic communication they have. <clears throat> I mean, me, re- that would be. Yeah, I mean, respectfully, Rick, they can all hear each other on the headset. I mean, they could talk to anybody they want anywhere in the stadium that has a headset on that frequency. So the reason those coordinators go upstairs is so they can see the whole field better um, and realize what defensive coverages are being played against them and given down and distances Coordinators to a man say they see everything better up there. You get a view of the entire field. You see substitutions quicker to know what personnel groupings are coming on the field, things like that. So knowing that the communication is uninterrupted because of the technology that's available, it affords them a bird's eye view of everything. And I mean, Brian Dable felt this way. Ken Dorsey felt this way. And Joe Brady did the same thing. They all feel it's a better vantage point to understand what the defense is trying to do against you to call proper plays accordingly. All right, and and plus, 
I get it, but if if the, it was a Bills problem, every I mean, literally the, the only vast one, majority of OCs yeah, are upstairs. Everybody sits up there. The only ones who don't are the head coaches who call plays, yeah. and they have to be on the sidelines. So, um, the, there's a lot of reasons they go up in the booth. The first and foremost is the booth is exactly what the point of view they have when they study game plans. They watch film, and it's the same film from a high sideline and then also the high end zone as well. But they're used to watching the game exactly like that. And they watch, these guys watch so much film, they, they watch a play, and they'll tell you five things. Oh, through one time through the, through the play, they'll tell you five things that they notice right out of the gate because they watch so much of it. Then from that go, angle. Yeah, from that angle. Um, it gives them the big picture. It gives it to them very quickly. And like like Brownie said, all the coaches, the offensive side of the of the coaching staff and the defensive side of the coaching staff, they all hear each other talk. They're separated, and the only way they're linked is through the head coach. The head coach can sw- switch over from offense to defense, and he can hear the defensive staff and he can hear the offensive staff. So obviously, he can switch back and forth whoever's on the field. But everybody has a voice, and they all have specific responsibilities on game day. So. They also, not only do they need to know when they're supposed to talk and have information that they're supposed to give in any given moment, they're also paid to shut up so everybody else can talk. It's a really concise, professional line of communication. You, you chime in when it's your turn, and you say it quick and get off so somebody else can chime in and give their, to, and give their information. It, it's all, I mean, this is not just guys drawing plays up in the dirt. And it's not just, you know, now I will say this in defense of your point, Rick, from North Tonawanda. When Brian Dable had a quarterback like Josh Allen, they was just drafted. A lot of coordinators will stay on the sidelines for a young quarterback to be there so they can have that relationship that you're talking about. When they sit down, look in the kid's eyes, say, listen, when you're because it, it means it's, it's a different type of teaching when you're there sitting next to him the only time then most of all of them brian dable did it as did it as well they move back up to the booth when the quarterback gets to a level of awareness and situational and and all that stuff where you can talk without having to point out exactly what you're talking about you know when the quarterback gets to a level where he understands without having you point to it you know that kind of thing when the quarterback becomes developed and self-aware enough and he's a professional enough and he's seen as much film as you had that season, that, that kind of thing. Then you can he's, – he's his own coach. You know what I'm saying? And you can go upstairs and then you can see the game and, and call a better game, call yeah. better plays from upstairs. Yeah, there's a ton in this, no question. It's not easy. Um, I, I don't know what you mean about the bad play calling down the stretch in Kansas City. I get it. We always hear it. If it didn't work when you called it, you should have done the other thing. If the if it if the run didn't work, you should have thrown it. Or if the long pass didn't work, you should have thrown it short. If the short pass wasn't there, you had a guy open deep. I get it. But the simple fact of the matter is, the Bills, you things ha- form follows function. Offensive coordinators notoriously, defensive coordinators too. They're all upstairs because they can see it better and they have less information that has to be given to them because yeah. they can see it for themselves. Let's go to Mark in West Seneca next. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. Uh, real quick, a couple points to uh, answer your question. D-line, um, priority. Priority one, Daquan Jones. Priority two, 
Uh, it's an either-or, I believe, Epineza or Leonard Floyd. I don't think they can afford, maybe not either one, but uh, at least one of them, maybe. And then I would definitely concentrate on bringing Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson back on veteran minimum one-year deals uh, for support players. Uh, it's, real, uh, it's real easy to focus on the negative, the way the season ended. Uh, but I like to I look at the roster and I like to focus on the positive. My first positive is moving forward that offensive line. To me, offensive lines are the heartbeat of a football team. You control games with those guys, and we got those five guys intact moving forward for quite a long time now. Uh, so I like to focus on that. I believe that was the the heartbeat of the Super Bowl teams back in the day was that offensive line, even though we had Hall of Famers around them. But and then lastly. Um, Real quick, young players. Uh, this is a, an opportunity for Brandon Bean and his scouting staff and our coaching staff, which Brownie you support all the time as developing guys, to show what they're made of. Uh, I think we should be positive in this respect. We may struggle a little bit at the beginning of the year with some young guys if we got to play them, but that coaching staff is going to develop as the season goes on, and there's no doubting Brandon Bean and his scouting staff recognize talent and finds talent. So they're going to bring in some guys that we can develop. So I think moving forward, the youth movement is going to be a really, really great thing. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, sure thing, Mark. A lot to cover there. And, yeah, I mean, I think Daquan Jones is priority number one at the defensive tackle position among the free agents because he's clearly the most valuable and highest caliber player of the group. Um, but, yeah, if you can get Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson on affordable deals – you bring them back into the fold as rotational players. I mean, they'll help your team. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, the youth movement. And I think their hand will be somewhat forced. It may not be completely comfortable, but I think with the development skills of the staff and the flat-out want-to of some of these younger players to fill a role capably, like a Terrell Bernard did this year, I think they might be pleasantly surprised. I really do. Yeah, and I and I, at sitting here where we're at now, knowing and feeling how long the season has been this season for the Bills, you're we all. I think a lot of us and Brownie and I are certainly in this spot where I, I'm first couple of weeks of the season you take some lumps because we just saw this team over the last couple of years go on a run late and get everything they want and have everything they want right in front of them by you know by struggling through this year it was with injuries to key players on the defense you know and certainly you could live like that and do it because of the youth on your defense and just get better um i'm i'm all about it uh, i think it's a it's a it le- it's less of a hill to climb than it seems like uh for me and i'm I'm all about. It. I th- I think the and now it doesn't say that everybody's going to stay healthy and all that. But given the given the druthers, I'd rather have young players who are developing week by week rather than have to overcome a bunch of injuries to guys in their 30s, you know, who who are going to have trouble bouncing back. Um, get some young guys on the field and and turn them loose a little bit and see if you can see if you can get them better. Break time for us. More of your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All 
right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Got to get right back to the phones because we are short on time. And to Butch on the east side, what do you got for us, Butch? Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm not going to be long, but I definitely got to say this to all the fans out there who love the Buffalo Bills and love this radio station. You guys already know Butch from the side. I love you. Secondly, to the owner of this radio station, all the employees behind the scenes and front of the scenes, I love you guys for doing a hard-working job, along with the people that I speak to on a regular basis. I love them. Put this out the way. I had to say that to get it started. Now, let me just say this to you. Number one, we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball. I'm not going to be long. Offensive side of the ball, we got a guy named Josh Allen who's a special breed. We don't get them that often. The NFL don't get them that often. Forget the Bills. The NFL doesn't get a Josh Allen that often. We need somebody that's going to not a jumper. What I mean by a jumper is looking for the next gig. What I mean by that is you had a guy that you guys, Brownie and, 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 and Steve, you guys talk to on a regular basis. His name is Dan Orlowski. You bring that guy in and give him Josh Allen. He's not a jumper. He's not going to look for a head coaching job right away. He's going to stay with Josh Allen. And when Sean McDermott decides to move up with Brandon Bean as assistant general manager, then he'll take the head coaching job if, he, if, it's, if it's open to him. In this case here, but, I, but I, I love Joe Brady. And, Steve, you already know one time you said, but who do we got? I said, we got Joe Brady. And he did a hell of a job. And I'm proud of Joe. And I'm proud of Joe. But Joe has an agenda, just like he took the Atlanta interview. That means he's ready to jump anytime he wants. Josh Allen doesn't need anyone to jump. He needs stability. He needs somebody who's going to be with him the whole time. And Dan Orlowski already gave you the game plans all season long of what he could do with Josh Allen. Put that to the side. Move on to the second phase on the defensive side of the ball, which I love my guy, Sean McDermott. I love Sean. But Brandon Bean is one hell of a general manager. He has brought a lot of youth since he's been here. But at the same time, Sean's the type of guy. He's old-fashioned. Which I, he's, like, he's like my grandfather. They don't believe letting youth play right away. They like to let them pay their dues. If you don't believe me, when Cook fumbled the ball early in the year, he had bench Cook for a long period of time because – that's, that's that's how old school people do. My thing is now with the salary cap, like you guys said yesterday, we're going to have to play the youth. Brandon Bean has been functioning in this team with good talent. It's time to let them go now. It's time to move moving forward. We're going to let our youth play. We got four wide receivers on the practice squad from Justin Shorter to 6'4". We got two 6'6 guys wide receivers who could have played to help us this year. But at the same time, they never put them on an active roster. Moving forward, I'm done after this, and I appreciate you for taking my call, is that now this coming off season, when Brandon goes to the draft, my friend Sean McDermott, who I love you dearly, it's time to go ahead and say, well, guess what? Financially, we can't go ahead and get the guy. You might go get a Mike Evans. That's about it because he's 30. You might get him for cheap. But at the same time, let's go with what we have. In this case here, I'm, on, I'm sorry to say it again. I mean, need to be redundant. But I want to bring Dan Orlowski in as my offensive coordinator and let him right. stay there and give me Josh Allen and, and let him move forward. Thank you so much, Steve, uh, Steve, Chris. You my guys. I love you so much. But God bless your families. And thank you so much for everything, for taking my call. And I love WGN. and I love the fans. Right. And I love you. You have a good day. Thank, thank you. Thanks, so, Butch. All right. so but basically he wants a new offensive coordinator, and, and he's okay with the youth movement. Um, yeah. I, he, he didn't get in too much of – why you're not he, getting Mike Evans for cheap, just so you know. You're right. I, yeah, yeah, I get that <laughs> too. I think his point play. was he was trying to make it. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit hyperbole. He's not. You're not getting Mike Evans, but um, 
And he said he he understood that too when he said it. But I, yeah, okay, you're gonna you, you want to bring Dan Orlovsky in with some young players. I don't know. <laughs> Dan's never been a coach. Yeah, I don't think he's walking into a coordinator's job. Maybe a quarterback's coaching job he could walk into. I yeah. can see that. And you know, yeah. you help the OC on the staff. But and let me say this: guys don't walk into those jobs. Let me say that. I don't. Listen, we all love Josh. He's great, and he deserves every good thing that comes to him, including an MVP if he gets it um, now or in the future. But when you got Josh on your team, your offensive coordinator is going to look pretty good. We already lost one to a head coaching job in Brian Dayball. We're getting another one who is getting interviewed uh, now with Joe Brady taking interviews as head coach. That's the way it happens. When you, when you, there are no non-jumpers. Everybody's looking for upward mobility right. in the coaching profession, so you're never going to have a non-jumper. Right, and that's why some coaches, like Andy Reid, he calls plays because he he's not going to get poached. You know, that's why Kyle Shanahan calls his own plays. He's not going to get poached. Now, Mike the guys McDaniel. on his staff will, Mike McDaniel, you know, and others, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, all these guys, Sean, uh, Sean McVay. All these guys get poached off his line, but he's the guy calling the plays, so it's going to be some continuity there. That's just the way it is. And I, so that, and that's why Sean McDermott, his defensive coordinator can get poached because it's him. It's the way it is. Of course, um, now there are assistants on Buffalo staff that are getting interviewed for or permission to interview yeah. for defensive coordinator positions. Yeah, Bob Eric Babbage Washington. with the Giants, Eric Washington with the Bears. Yeah. There's no way to protect losing members of your staff, and if anything, it means you're hiring the right people if people are looking to hire them for promoted roles or elevated roles. You just got to hope you can keep hiring quality people to fill vacancies if and when they come about. And that's just the way the profession works. There's no way to eliminate players or coaches moving off your staff. If they're good, they're going to get promotions, if not here, elsewhere. It's just it's the way it is, and Coaches strive for upward mobility so they can have bigger roles, take on more responsibility, have more success, make more money. Just the way the whole thing works. There's always going to be churn. Got to take a break here. Hour number two begins with the Hall of Famer. Thurman Thomas is going to join us in studio when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Hour number two on a Thursday. And joining us in studio is the Hall of Famer, Thurman Thomas. As uh, <laughs> Thurman's got a little bit of seasonal depression now that the season's over. It's over. And, and the weather's crummy, um, as is typically the case here in January. But thanks for coming in, Thurman. Appreciate it. Uh, Anytime, guys. Do you, uh, did you listen to any of Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott earlier this week? Did you hear anything? 
Or no, were you just still in mourning? Yeah, still. Nah, I'm, I'm, I was over it after the game. Oh, you were over it. Okay. I was over it after the game. Yeah, I've been kind of, um, I mean, like, I've been kind of depressed. I mean, really. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if one of my good friends, Michael Hyde, is going to come back. Probably not. Jordan Poirier. You know, those were my two guys, and I've always talked about those two yeah. guys on this show since they got here. And it's been what seven years? Seven years. It's been a good run, man. It's been it's been a really great run for those two guys. And I know you know we hired Sean, and then you know we broke the drought, and then we got Josh. But those two guys right there have been mainstays. Have been the mainstays of this organization, building a culture, seeing guys come in, you know, and and guys leave, and being replaced with guys. And man, I just man. I, I've actually been just been thinking about those two. Yeah, really, I really have yeah. because Boy. over the years, you know, you don't like you don't know how you're going to come into a relationship with two guys that are new to Buffalo. And I, I kind of knew Micah a little bit coming from Green Bay, so I can't, you kind of know what kind of culture that was down yeah. there, you know. But him coming here, man, he embraced it. He has his foundation. He does the softball. Uh, Jordan Poirier uh, has a golf tournament now, and uh, you know, a couple of years ago, probably one of the hardest decisions he ever made was coming out and talk about this alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this has been a lot, and with all of that, these yep. guys have stayed the same, and they have produced. Both here started young families you, here. Yeah. yeah, I'll say this too. Here's what one of the other kind of hallmarks of why you know we kind of love them so much in my opinion, because when they got here, we, you know, we were in the middle of the drought. We were, you know, we were hopeless, right? right? You know, we were, right. then those two guys get here and all of a sudden you get people like Bill Belichick and they start winning games and other teams around the league, other head coaches, Bill Belichick being mm -hmm. the main one, and then others as well yeah. saying, let me tell you something. Those bills, <laughs> those safeties are a problem. They, they are, are they problem. are a real problem. Yeah. And it was the first time we had anything to take pride in. <laughs> right. For for a decade for and a half, we I had know. nothing to like like hang our hat on it. But those two guys show up and it's like Bill's got some guys. Yeah, and I can for remember, the first time. Yeah, I can remember like I think it was after a game where Belichick was talking to Michael Hyde after he picked off a pick in the end zone. Yeah. He was like, how did you see it? Did you What'd see you it? What did you see? Yeah, exactly. And, and Micah goes, he telegraphed it. He yeah. telegraphed. He was, Micah thought about it for a half second. He goes, he telegraphed his throw. Yeah. I saw it. I saw it a half second. He, he was looking at him a half second before he threw it, and I saw it. Yeah. You know, I, I remember that. Yeah. And it was – but that those two guys, <laughs> more so than any – more than Josh, maybe, <laughs> not as, what I, maybe not as much as McDermott or that, yeah. but when – when they signed those two guys, it was like, I, who were they? Was, right? I, yeah, I didn't know. Exactly. I'm like, safeties? What are safeties? Not a, not a, right. a, not a, a pass rusher? rusher? Right. Pass rusher? Corner? <laughs> like a wide, big, like like Julio Jones? Not safeties I never heard of? Right, yeah. And then they show up. It's like, oh, dude. Yeah, and I knew from the day that he signed here, Aaron Rodgers sent out a tweet about, man, this Micah was Hyde, one we yeah. should not have let go. Yeah, and yeah, he was talking about Mike Hyde. I was like, yeah. we must have some. And the signing of those two players should be a lesson in terms of what the Bills should do now. They have an aging team. They were yeah. in the top eight oldest teams in football this year. And I think we can all agree that some players were closer to the end of their careers than their prime. And so – 
you heard Brandon Bean say it earlier this week with their cap situation yep. and with older players aging out, so to speak, they're going to have to depend on youth a lot more <laughs> next year than they have in the last several years. My question to you, Thurm, is how does that grab you, knowing you're probably going to have to depend on players more, you know, like maybe a Kyrie Elam or a Kingsley Jonathan at pass rusher. Young players are going to have to be on the field more because you can't afford to pay high-priced free agents. And Brandon Bean said we got a hit on this draft class. I mean, you might have two, three rookies on the field too. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, it's going to be a – I think we kind of saw this coming a little bit. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. now it's going to be, okay, well, you got this young football team. When are we going to see them step up in a like a big time meaningful game? When will that be? You it's going to have to be. You saw Shakir yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, Shakir. But I'm talking about now. You got to replace some guys on the defensive side. Yep. Who's going to be those guys that? Because it's going to happen. And but the one thing that we do have, we do have 17 to keep that offense going. Yeah. We do have that. And we an offensive we, line. And an offensive line. line. Yeah. They're and maybe need some receivers or two or whatever it may be. But. You have 17. Now, you're probably looking at, okay, how far are the Dolphins going to fall? What about the Jets? Are they going to come back up? Are we going to have an opportunity to win that division? Or are we going to be the seventh seed for a couple of years until those players get into year two and year three where they will be advanced and then you can keep compete a little bit more for that number one and number two seed? Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs had to turn their roster over defensively two years ago. And they did. They drafted three corners in one draft. <laughs> one's all-pro. One, yeah, one's an all-pro, and the other two start. Yeah. So they, they flipped they it. They went through They it. took some lumps, you know, in the first half of the year last year with a lot of rookies on the field for them defensively. Yeah. But good coaches develop players quickly, and if you give them opportunities, it's the fastest way to learn. They did that, and they're making interceptions in the AFC championship game last year. Yeah. So – that's the move that the Bills have to turn to now, especially defensively, to your point, Therm. Um, at the same time, there is a general consensus that you have to get alpha dog-type weapon outside at receiver. Stephon Diggs is entering his age 31 season, and each of the last two years, his production has dropped off precipitously in the second half of the season. Now, we can all speculate as to why that is, and there are probably a multitude of reasons why, but I think you have to get somebody in the pipeline here that's capable of being the alpha dog receiver, if not at the first half of next season, certainly by the second half of next season. <laughs> you know, when they're, I think it's logical to assume that Diggs' production is going to drop off again. So that is going to require early investment in the draft at that position. You want to get a guy that's going to be ready right now? I mean, well, always. If we're going to get, yeah, yeah, we're gonna get a guy that's seven then. guys that are ready right, <laughs> right now. I mean, but. If we can get Harrison Jr., I, I'd love to get him. But well, yeah. that's so far. They're already projecting seven receivers in round one, which would tie the record for most in a first round of a draft. Well, where are we hitting? We're at 28. We're at 28. Say, yeah. who, can be, who can be that seventh guy? Right. Who can be that sixth right. guy? Because yeah. it's 28. Yeah. So I, do you take a chance? We also that? have a GM that likes to move up. Let's not forget we, that. Yeah, he does. Like go, back, <laughs> go back in time. So – you get drafted like the second pick of the second round, right? Second pick seventh second. pick. Seventh pick of the second round? Yeah. Okay. We pick you. Um, you, you don't sit around on the bench your rookie season. 
No, I play. And I said this too, and I, and I was as a young player for me. I was in Houston at the time. We were talking about this earlier in the show. You just, man, you just, I, just let me on the field. Just give me a chance to do it. And it's a fun thing to think about yeah. these guys coming in and being mm-hmm. that. But also, Brownie's right. We just got off a season that was, it seemed like it was, from this end, it seemed like it was nine years long this season, <laughs> right. right? I mean, it was like we were six and six, and like, oh, my God, you know. It's a heavy lift. Right. Yeah. It's, it seems easy for us to sit here and say, listen, the guy you start as a rookie wide receiver in week one is going to be a completely different guy week 16, 17, 18. Get, speak to that. As you are a guy who played like day one, snap one, you're getting the ball. Yeah, um, well, I I knew coming in, like, I wasn't the focal point. I could actually help this team because Jim was a guy. Right, Jim right. was a guy and Andre was a guy. And, and even though they at that time – They didn't need you it, to be the guy. Yeah, they didn't need me to be the guy, just in, in certain plays or certain situations. But it was Jim. And really, at that point, it was probably an offensive line. Even in, back in 1988, they were probably the strongest point. So – you know, I'm looking at Jim, Bruce, Andre, Task. I'm like, I just got to fit in and, and kind of do my job. But then the following year, Rob Riddick got hurt during the preseason. And they were like, oh, you're the pass catching guy. <laughs> so now I'm it now, right? But you're like, you know what? I did. I, I, I went through it my first year. I saw how Jim, I saw how Andre, I saw how Bruce worked. I'm like, okay, well, I, I got to start working like that to get better. Yeah, but but the lessons on the field also serves a purpose for you too, because you come in year two and you're like, all right, I can handle this, like, right? I mean, there's lessons learned on the field. It's two days. You're going against Cornelius and Darrell. You better get better. (laughs) You better get better. And I and I think with the way the uh, collective bargain agreement is set up right now, those days are over with as far as hitting and two days and all that. And right. And so you're you're not going to have that. That really yeah. fights competition. We were that you would normally see, yeah. and so I think now with that, it takes a little bit longer, longer development for those young players because they're not engaged as much as receiver. Were. Receiver is one position though where, where we've you can, seen guys hit the ground running right the from ground, their. Yeah. I mean Garrett Wilson right. and with the Jets because like, it's probably right out of the shoot. But there's with a some re- horrible quarterback. There's a play. reason though. There's a reason for that because right. the wide receiver spot is probably the least physical player on the on the team on either team. You don't get you catch the ball and get tackled all of that, but that's football. It's the least physically demanding of any position. Yeah, so you're that's why guys seven can on hit seven the, all year long. You play seven on seven out there, and even you know you you see guys run out of bounds. You don't take a hit. It's the least <laughs> physically taxing position, except for the fact that you run a lot. A lot yeah, and. Like running back Thurman, I you know, the Thurman would take a pound. He was like a you know, he was like Energizer Bunny, man. The guy you know, you, those guys at that spot get hit every every play, yeah. every play. Like offensive linemen, every play. Linebackers, every play. <laughs> like I used to tell Jim, Jim, when you drop back, four to six guys are after you. When when you give me the ball, eleven guys are after me. It's right, a, it's a totally different thing. Right, so. <laughs> And the way that we were, t- we were trying, the five presidents were ch- texting about this the other day. Guys are going to start play- having longer, more productive careers, deeper into their careers because of the CBA yeah. and what he was saying. The, yeah, the, player, protect- the player protection, the, the rules in the offseason, the rules during season, the padded practices limitations, the, all of that stuff. They're going to start playing. And you got to – now, Brady played till he's 45, 44. 
Ben also, Roethlisberger. There's also more games, though. Let's Andrew, not forget that. No, there's not. There's less preseason games, more regular season games. So there's which more is, games which you is participate. more taxing. Uh, right. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you get more bye weeks as well. You get more rest. There's also more teams playing postseason, too. Two more teams in the postseason with more players playing in the postseason. So there's a bigger number of guys, but there's not more reps than anybody. They've added more players, too. There's only right? one and team. And there's I more mean, players. When we were, I that's, think it was 46. Now there's 53. Yes. And I'll say this, too. that What you said, the, the expanded rosters – is the only way yeah. I got a chance to play in the NFL. Right. That's the only way. If, if and now, they didn't they go, have, now it, you got 90, and it goes a full preseason. Right. Instead right. of the cut down. And now. you have 69 guys in the building all the time. You got 14 right. practice squad guys, and you, got, yeah. and you got the whatever, the 53 in the man, 53 roster. So you got 69 guys you can choose yep. from. Those expanded rosters, now you got professional special teams players. From 1982 on, when the league, they got bigger – so it all – it's hard for these young guys – all this we're talking about is hard for these young guys to come in. Denver was horrible defensively for six weeks, seven weeks. They were giving up 70 points. But then, after they started getting some tackling and some live reps, all of a sudden, they're pretty good. Yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah, it, those live reps in a game oh, are the only way you can develop at some of these positions. Well, Not yeah. wide receiver, yeah. but some of these positions, yeah. So with that in mind, draft a wide receiver early, knowing you have a better chance of getting that guy on the field yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I Those I, guys out there, you know, they run. They, I, I they're think, like I this. Think, they're yeah. walking like this. They I think everybody know, like, you know, we might not have game. You know, I, I want the offense that had – what, Diggs had over 100 catches? Beasley had over 100 catches? Yeah, you got to get back to the high-flying football. That's what I want to see. Yeah, right. Well, that's it, how you maximize Josh. That's how you max exactly. And so, I, I was just, just thinking about this Kansas City game and, like, Spagnolia, right? Defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He wasn't City. even rushing, Josh. He, 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 you see his two defensive he, tackles just standing there? Just standing there. Nothing. Nothing. And everything was within 14 to 15 yards. Yeah. You can say all you want to about the deep throws that may have been caught or may not have been caught. Should have been caught. But they haven't hit on a deep throw in eight weeks. Yeah. So, Longest. And it was, and I would say, it was a catchable football. But it wasn't where Josh would normally throw the football. Which one are we throw. talking about? Talking about Diggs. Well, that one went 63 yards in the air. So, And, dude, dude, and we've seen him throw the ball like that before. And it's been on a dime. Yeah. And it's been on a dime. It hit hey, him in the hands. Hey, well. You got to catch it. I mean, I get it. It's a tough catch. Man, I'll tell you. Wait a minute. I mean, okay. it feels like it's even, coming out of the sky when it's 63 even, yards. I'll give you that. Even but, with yeah. that, we still had an opportunity to win the game. Yeah. So, forget the catch. Forget the non-catch well, or whatever. two other drops. There's but a, we still had an opportunity to win yeah. the game. And you, and you, I can go on, but I'm not. <laughs> Longest play of the that, game for the Bills was 18 yards, yeah. and it was a Josh Allen scramble. He had two of the longest plays from scrimmage on scrambles, 18 and 12 I yards. Hey, listen, I don't care what it was going to look like. I mean, I, I get it. We met, they still had a chance to win it, and they, you got to well, take yeah. those chances. And that's, and, yeah. and that's and, to be – And you got to take – and, and you don't have to make snap off a ninety-eight yard bomb to win a game. No, but I'd the point be, I'm trying to make be, is you have to have at least you have to at least have that element in your offense 
I get it, Brownie, but listen, even if you don't hit it, they still got to defend it. And that's what they, they're going to defend that, whether you hit it or not. So everything else becomes open if they've got that covered because they know you will throw it. Now, the, you think those guys are out there going, man, man, I knew we had that. They're going, holy, I'm glad he dropped that. That's what they're saying. So still, it, and it was still eight minutes ago on the, in that play, when that play that happened. first and it 10 still, for the 20. Yeah, exactly. And we should be talking about the last two plays before the missed field goal than yeah. anything. So, so that's why that's, I say with the with the Diggs catch, it's 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 no brain. You can talk about it all day. <laughs> when you get down there into the, where we were, come on, man. We're we, to- had, we had to run better plays than that. We're totally. Josh should have been yeah. Josh, and you know, I look. I'm, I want this team to win better than anybody. Mm. I, I mean, I want them to. Yeah, yeah. I want them to win. I want to hug Sean McDermott and Terry and the whole family and say. Thank you. Well, thank you. But it was it did not look like a championship team at the last two play of the game. Yeah, I'll say game. this, we, and we get this all the time. We we're in the weeds now because we I don't know where we're, I don't know how we started this conversation, but I'm taking it. For, I'm going deeper into the weeds. <laughs> that you're talking about the last two plays before the field. And I, that's what all these games are coming down to, and that's why the Bills are going to be in the conversation every single year because. They're in the game. They're, and that's why we, we've had this ongoing conversations about the refs. I'll go off on it one more time. The reason everybody's upset about the officials is because you got all these games coming down to three points with a field yep. goal or a missed two-point conversion. They're not blowouts. A lack of two guys on Detroit not reporting the right way and the official not do. It comes down to like one play in these games. One. And, that, and so every, whoever's involved in it gets blamed or credit or whatever. And that's, that's it. So you can go the last two plays of this game when Josh should hit digs on the underneath instead of trying to – or just tuck it and run and get it yourself. I'm just going to say – All that stuff. Everybody's talking about this underneath route. And, yes, Diggs is open. They got three guys across the field at the sticks. Three defenders. Like, okay. go back and look I at it. I get it. Okay. Make, one, make one miss you. That's what coaches tell me. All. Uh, make know. one miss you. And, and it's still third down and four. So, anyway, anyway even if he gets it, okay, it's first and ten on the what? On the, on the 19. Okay, well, he still ain't scored. There's a lot of football to play. And, you know, I mean, this, these two teams, it ain't over until it's double zeros and Pat Mahomes has thrown his helmet. Oh, you then think it's over. You think we're upset and mad now? <laughs> Let Kansas City beat Baltimore this weekend. See how upset we'll be. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'll say this. Too. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to say I've done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the way it's going to be. Yeah. That's, the, that's the world we live in. We are going to be – we're going to be <laughs> – if we don't win it, we're going to be this close for the foreseeable future. Yeah. That's, that's where they're at. And right now, we're just this close. Man. And it's in, entirely frustrating. Yeah. We're like, we're pulling our we're right I'm there. pulling my brownies. I don't have any Brownies left. rubbing yeah. his head. Yeah. We're, and you we're, too. we're this close. We're this close. And we're, we're going to stay. We're going to stay this yeah. close until we, we get that much further. Until that youth that we talked about gets a little bit older, which that's will where be we're in two be. or three years. Or maybe we might be. be pleasantly surprised and by we, that youth. I'll say this. Yeah. Because there's one thing about youth. They, they don't can, know any better. They can surprise you. <laughs> There's no reason they'd be. What's the pressure? Uh, and right. I think this is the I'm best place. When you're young and unproven. <laughs> this is not a bad place to be right now since the season's over and all that. Yeah. Right now as a Bills fan. Because I am, I really I haven't thought about it in these terms until this conversation. We're going to be this close for as far as the eye can see. 
Well, absolutely. And we're going to be back. We may be back here next year after the three-point loss to the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. in our building. Or the, we may be here again. But we're, I'll tell you what. We're going to be here. We're going to have the bat in our hands yeah. looking at the pitch. Yeah. Right? So – we're not going anywhere. No, no, we're not. I don't going care about anywhere. young wide receivers, <laughs> drafting <laughs> defensive line. Probably, like, we're gonna be right there. Yeah, I mean, look, they've been looking at players since training camp, scouting players in college or whatever, and you know they probably knew that this day was coming, so they've already done their homework. You know, they're gonna go down to the Senior Bowl and scout guys down there. So, I mean, it's. No surprise about what we're talking about or what we need or whatever. Yeah, they yeah. already know. Yeah, yeah. They already know what we need and what we need to do. So, hey, look, it's probably the most pressure. I, I would probably say, you know, what Brandon Bean and his scouting staff have on them this year. Yeah, he said we then have it, to hit on this draft. You he said to, you got to hit on it every year, but especially this year because yeah. he knows that there's going to be a little handcuffed in the free agency because yeah. the cap situation is cost yeah. prohibitive. I'll say this too. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of good football players out there to Absolutely. choose from, and they're going to have a lot of reasons to want to be here in this building. Uh, McDermott, Sean, uh, you know, Josh, Josh Allen. Yeah. If I'm a wide receiver, all these I want to come here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys that are looking like, yeah, I'd like to go because they see what we see, and the bill's going to be right there. And if you want to go to a team that is absolutely going to be in the conversation at the end of it, this yeah. is where you're going to be. Orchard Park, baby. Thurm, thanks for coming in as always. We absolutely. appreciate you stopping by. Enjoy uh, the off season. <sighs> I I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> apparently to. exhausted already. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Get you put your feet up and put you know buy an ottoman and a recliner or something I here. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. All I right. can't do it. That's Thurman Thomas, uh, the Hall of Famer, joining us here in studio. We will take a break. Be back with more, including your phone calls, here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Right back to the phones we go, where we've had some people waiting patiently. To Dan in Angola next. What's up, Dan? Yeah, just keep it simple. Don't babble on. Well, when do we get under the cap? You have well, to... We have money to spend instead of we're over every year. Yeah, by, by rule, you have to be under the cap before the start of the new league year, which is March 13th this year. So they have to find their way to move $43 million in projected salary off of their cap right now it's to act- get under. And it's actually probably going to be along to the tune of $70 million because they got to get at least that much under the cap to do business throughout the year. They need $15 million for their draft class because they have 10 picks or they're projected to have 10 picks uh, provided they get the third-round compensatory for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds. And then you're going to need another $15 million or so to – do free agent business of some kind, mm-hmm. probably a budgetary free agent business. Uh, so, yeah, March 13th is the day they've got to be under and in-cap compliance. Let's go to Judy in Buffalo next. What do you got, Judy? <clears throat> you know, I don't even know why we're talking defense. Your defense can be adequate or aggressive if you have an offense that can score 30 to 35 points per game. For two years, I have complained that they did not do anything to help Josh and to take advantage of this elite quarterback. Next, I don't know why the Bills fans are so disappointed. Um, 
except for two fluke plays in the Miami game, we wouldn't even had a home game in, in the playoffs. Secondly, if not for a fluke fumble into the end zone, Kansas City would have won that game by 10 points. So, you know, the Bills fans need to step back and say, hey, we really did well this year, much better than I ever expected. All right, Judy, thank, and there's a, there's a lot in that, and, there, and you, you're probably right, particularly at this end of it. You can sit here and say and, and see why, particularly with the, the way the Bills' defense was situated personnel-wise, Kansas City was better on Sunday. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean the Bills couldn't have won, no question about it. We've seen that a hundred times. Uh, and certainly the way the Bills closed out the regular season with all the injuries they had defensively is something to be – trumpeted uh, they did well uh and there's a lot to be positive about with the bills team no question uh and i and i'll say this you're not alone in your assessment of what it's like to play defense or offense in the nfl these days look at why or the the criticism of the green bay packers in the last few years of aaron Rodgers' tenure there a guy who was a four-time mvp all they ever said was they never gave him really any – they never had a number one wide receiver. He never had a, a first-round draft pick a wide receiver. They never got him one of those guys. And the or guy was enough a four, weapons in general. The guy was a four-time MVP without all that. Ben Roethlisberger made a lot of guys who were fifth and sixth and eighth-round picks like Antonio Brown and the, and the like. A lot of them became really good players because Ben Roethlisberger was thrown to him. The philosophy can be in the NFL, if you got that guy like a Pat Mahomes – uh, and who's Kansas City gutted the, the receiver room uh, over the last two years, and he's still going to the championship game. Same thing that happened with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, with Pat Mahomes. There have been other guys who teams have – Tom Brady for all those years in, in New England. If you've got that guy, he's good enough to make those guys good enough. You know what I'm saying? So why worry about defense? And the, the thought is – they gut that, that side of the offense to give them defensive players so they can make plays against them. If you want to go the other way, which is what Brownie and I are sitting here saying, maybe they should try it, load gotta, that side up so nobody can hang with you. Yeah, go the other way. Go the other way. Gotta, give the guys somebody to throw to. Who can catch it in a big spot. And, and see what you got. Because in these last two games, last two years, and you're right, Judy, we're in the same spot we were two years ago. Last year after the season, we thought, man, after the Cincinnati Bengals came in here and, and, and lumped them up pretty good, said, we're in an arms race. we gotta, we got to have firepower offensively. Well, Deontay Hardy and Trent Shurfield weren't quite the elixir we wanted them to be, and, and Gabe Davis. Well, Kincaid was a good ad right. because you missed the receiver running Kincaid, the draft. Kincaid, Shakir, and Cook emerged as draft picks. But we're still sitting there going, you know, we need, we need another guy. Yeah. At least or one. Or two. So – um, I, I'm kind of with you on this, Judy. Um, the only reason we're talking about defense today is because of what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said. They know they've got work to do because on the defensive line alone, eight of their 12 players are free agents. Just from a numbers standpoint, you're going to need to add there because you don't have enough people. So that, that's why we posed the question today. It's not because we think they need to do more significant work over there but just from a numbers standpoint three quarters of your defensive line room is out the door on expiring contracts so just by sheer numbers they've got a lot of work to do at two positions by the way that do not come cheap i mean those are expensive positions i mean just look at the franchise tags from last year alone 
defensive tackle. And this is the top. This is the average of the top ten salaries in the league at the position last year. Defensive tackle, eighteen nine. Defensive end, nineteen seven. So even if you get a middle of the road guy, you could be talking double digits in millions of dollars. They don't have that money to spend this offseason. So right. they're gonna have to get really creative to fill out the roster on the defensive side of the ball, especially if you want to give the offense the attention you feel it should get to put them in a thirty-five points per game category. That's the challenge this offseason for Brandon Bean and his personnel department. Let's go back to the phones, and we go to Ron in North Tonawanda. What do you got, Ron? Hi, Chris and Steve. I think you guys do a great job on the show. Oh, thanks. And my, my question is, why don't we be one, – one of the questions is, like New England, when a guy – I know it's a business. Football is a business. And the front office, Bean and everybody, they're going to have to treat it as a business. And we can't keep all these aging players. When they get close to their the end, they, New England always got rid of players and brought in draft choices. And oh, you go with draft choices. My other thing is, Diggs did it again. Not because he dropped the ball after the game. He didn't answer any questions. He disappeared. And I read. It, I was looking on online yesterday, just doing some act. You know. Uh, Mock drafts to see who Buffalo might be drafting when they're going for. And there was an article under the article, by the article, saying that if the Bills trade Stephon Diggs by June 1st, they can save $15 million under the cap, towards the cap. And going forward, he is not a true number one anymore. And for the last when we were six and six going forward, what did he do? And one of the teams that would be interested in Diggs would be Dallas. Yeah, why uh, Dallas? Me, why well, do you hold think? On, hold on a second, Ron. I, sure. While I, you're talking about a post June first cut, which could reduce his dead cap. Okay, right. It would reduce it by fifteen million. You're still eating sixteen. So it's not a savings. Instead of getting hit with a $31 million dead cap figure, you get hit with $16 million, which, quite frankly, I still don't think the Bills can afford. So I just want to make sure you fully understand what that means if you wait until after June 1st to cut him. No, no, I understand. But what has he done? Look, well, he's been an elite receiver for the team for most of his career. He's had He had a bad last half of the season. Um, and I, and I, what makes you think Dallas wants him? Because his brother's there? Because only two things. His brother's there, and according to the, the report, was Jerry Jones does, uh, does not like Gallup anymore, and they misuse Cooks, and he would think Diggs would be a fit-in with Lamb so, better than what they have. Yeah, I I don't know that you didn't hear that from I don't think you might have heard that from a reporter, but you didn't hear that from anybody in the Dallas organization. I'll right. believe it when I hear Dallas say it, because um, a lot of people oh, you no, know, I would, have that stuff. No, I, I would too. But, no, I would too. But if it's true, why not? Yeah, yeah. listen, fine. Um, yeah, fine. And what, if, and what has Kansas, and what has Kansas City done? Where is their true number one wideout? Well, they replaced it with youth, which is Rasheed Rice. And look, I don't disagree with a youth movement, Ron, at all. And, and sorry, we got to move along. I don't disagree with a youth movement at all, but I would hesitate in moving on from 14. 
Um, yeah. You want to talk to me about it next year at this time when the Bills can actually get out from under the contract, I'll listen to that. But because by then he'll be in, entering yeah. his age 32 season. You also, get, you also get to the point here where, say you could find somebody who wanted to trade for Stephon Diggs. Um, you're not going to get Stephon Diggs back. I mean, a guy you're not going to get even the, less, the, the second half of this season Stephon Diggs back. Yeah, and he did come on towards the end of the season. I mean, he played a big role in the win over Miami to win the division. You know, he had seven catches for 82 yards, and, you know, Josh overthrows him when he's got Jalen Ramsey beat on a deep route for what would have been an 89-yard touchdown. So, you know, I, I mean, look, I'm just as disappointed as everybody else that Diggs' production has dropped off in the second half of the season for the second year in a row, but I don't think you – I don't think you move on from him yet. You got, you got too many vacancies in the receiver room already with Gabe Davis unlikely to be back. I don't think Trent Sherfield's coming back after that really didn't work this year. And, and you got to wonder if Deontay Hardy's even going to be here, even though he has a year left on his contract. This team is going to be trying to save money on the cap, and I don't know that he's worth a $4 million cap hit. So for right. the role that he played for you, not to mention the fact that Naheem Hines is – should be okay to come back next season from his ACL injury. There's your return, man. So what are you doing with Hardy at four and a half million? Yeah, you're, you're, you're using have... him to save money on the cap, probably. You're I mean, gonna... I don't mean to be cruel, but business is business. Yeah, your free agent class is going to be guys coming back on veteran minimum deals. I mean, that's what you're. That's what you're looking at numbers wise. Now, unless they pull, you know, a ton of cap maneuvering, which they're going to have to do some of to just to get compliant. Uh, we've seen them do it before. We did. They did it with Vaughn. Let's face it; that was out of the blue. They did it with Vaughn. Uh, so, you know, they can still maybe do some of that. But as it stands right now, that might, you know, that might keep the shovel in their hand and keep digging them a salary cap hole for next year. Yeah, I mean, he said he's going to have to kick the can down the road a little bit again this year, um, as they still are trying to recover from when the cap moved backwards. $16 million on the COVID year. Let's go back to the phones and to Nico in Buffalo. What's up, Nico? Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, a couple points to make here. Uh, just listening, you know, while I'm on hold. Uh, I, you know, I always thought the cap was, I mean, is, is it not just something where they could just turn somebody's salary into a bonus and then cap room just becomes apparent? I mean, I've seen that happen so many times. I just feel like it's the willingness of the owner to spend the money uh, up front like that. Uh, you know, so I, I think they could probably do some maneuvering in, in that area. Uh, that's what they've been doing. Really do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it does, you can do that. Yes, that's how it works. But what would happen is you'd have to, sooner or later, you've got to pay all that money. You've got to put all that money on the cap somewhere. If you, if you pay the guy a bonus – that money comes off the cap either this year, the next year, the next year, or however long you put that contract out there. So, yes, you can do that, but sooner or later, any money you get paid, you pay your players in bonuses, is held against the cap in some year in the future. Uh, there's no getting around that. And that's, you know, they can spread it out over the course of a five-year contract. It gets cut into five separate pieces. But if that guy's cut anywhere in that five years, all what's left go right on that year's cap. So that's why there is a, a limitation to it. Yeah, I mean, that's why they get paid the big bucks. That's why Bean makes so much money. I, I have faith in him to, 
you know, to put the best team that he can out there. I mean, when it comes to defense, I think McDermott has showed that he's able to, to take pieces that may not be starting pieces in the NFL and turn them into, you know, a, a top a top end defense. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not worried about that. I really do think that we should draft a wide receiver and take like, you know, like look at the Green Bay Packers. They have they don't even have a true number one. They just have a bunch of young, hungry wide receivers that are all very talented. Um, I mean, I, I think Khalil Shakir versus Stephon Diggs in the last 10 games is just crazy stat that I saw where yep. Shakir has 37 targets, six has 80, and I think they both. Oh, I think we lost, lost Nico him. there. Sorry, Nico. Nico. We're up against the break anyway. But, yes, uh, he did outgain him in yardage and did it on half the targets over the last 10 games. Um, part of that is because people are paying so much attention to Stephon Diggs. But, yeah, your point is well taken. Brandon Bean's done a good job of managing the cap and still fielding a competitive roster. We trust he'll be able to do that again, even though the task might be harder this time around. Got to take a break. Steve and I wrap it up next here on One Bills Live. <laughs> All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And talked a lot about things that are going to have to be addressed on the defensive line with eight impending free agents out of the 12 players that man the defensive line for the Bills this season. And there was also a lot of talk from the callers about a youth movement. And I would say on the whole, Steve, most people are behind it. Even Thurman Thomas, who was here in studio. Well, I, you know, it's easy to do that when you've got, you know, some youth that played really well this year. James Cook, Khalil Shakir, Osiris Torrance. Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid, Terrell Bernard. Uh, guys we didn't know about when the season started all of a sudden. Christian Benford had a good Christian year. Benford uh, has been a, a huge surprise. So, yeah, I, uh, it's easy to get behind the spot like that when you've had some success doing it. And, I, and I, I'm with you, Brownie. This coaching staff doesn't trust itself enough to develop these guys they do, but they should take advantage of it because they're really good at it. Yeah, put even more faith they're in their really own good ability at it. to teach. We got, we'll see you tomorrow. We got Greg Cosell one last time. We'll see you at one.